We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, aka Blender Ed. Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Friday, Friday, July 22nd. We're back. We're back. The all-star break's done. Right? We got we didn't have baseball for a bunch. We had a little baseball yesterday, but I didn't even bother playing. Uh, but we're back and we got another UFC card coming up tomorrow. You know what we do on Fridays? It's fighting Fridays. We're fighting with each other. Maybe maybe we're fighting with each other in the chat. I see you guys in there. Or Wataz. Wataz is the, Wataz, if you didn't already know, is the new Suki Singh, right? You're here early, 1045 a.m. What are you doing here this early? Okay, fine. Good morning. Brian C's here. Matt Mears, Doug Montgomery, Joe Adamo, who, uh, who I, I, th- I think I think Joe won, won some some GPP, some mini max or something. He, he showed me, I think he showed me a screenshot of what. Earlier, later, earlier this week or something, he wanted me to, I, I didn't have a show on Monday the whole week. He wanted me to have a shout out that he won something. Okay. I think, I think it was him. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Grant Brown's here. Daniel Hutchings, Nerdy Tenor. Hey, yo. Eagles 1985, right? We have the mixed reaction. He loves the DFS MMA strategy show, but Doug Montgomery doesn't want me to do MMA. Love the math analytical tutorial always. You can always go back to the previous episodes. You want to watch those again? Watch it again. Right? Okay, see, yeah, okay, see, Joe Adamo, right. Single and, oh, yeah, I was third in that single. It was something. It was something. He wanted to shout out for some reason. So there you go. There's a shout out. Uh, okay, so if you want the baseball stuff, that's later today. So tune into Grinders Live, 5 p.m. Eastern. There's a 13-game slate tonight. A lot of good pitching, right, because pretty much the rotations are starting over because they had, what, five days rest. So, uh, so yeah, so tune in then. Then you get crunch time. With FanDuel, presented by FanDuel, uh, you get the weather report. I don't know if there's as much bad weather today. You get all the baseball stuff uh, later today, but uh, we're going to be going over the UFC uh, London card. Yeah, they're in London. So it's a noon Eastern start tomorrow. They're fitting in 14 fights. I love the bigger slates. 14 fights right up my eye. I like 14, 15 fight cards. Love it. 
much easier to get unique. You don't have to, well, I mean, you still have to worry about dupes. I mean, it's still MMA. There's only so many fighters you could choose, but it's uh, it's it's less uh, nerve-wracking. Once you get to 11, 12 fights, 10 fights, then you start like, okay, I, I, I'm just, I just want to make sure I'm playing lineups that aren't duped 20 times. This, a lot more combinations available to us. So if you have any questions about the MMA DFS strategy, DFS strategy in general, anything you want to talk about, just type it in the YouTube chat. Give me those thumbs ups. You know, I love the thummy thumbs in the morning. It's a new, it's a new day. It's a new week. I know it's the end of the week, whatever, but give me those thumbs ups. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. So let's uh, give a shout out to Eli. Eli's back producing. He's back and then he's going to be gone again. So, so he's trying, he's getting used to StreamYard. So I don't know. I don't know. He could, he could, he could probably throw up my screen, right? I, I can't do it myself. Oh, there we go. Okay. Now we're good. Get my, my spreadsheet up with uh, some, some of the facts and the figures and everything. Uh, and you know what we like to do on Fridays? Fridays are not, uh, uh, the show is not about choosing who's going to win the fights, right? We're not talking about the outcomes of the fights. You could get a combo premium package for Roto Grinders, be a subscriber, right? Even if you just want to pay for MMA, I suggest the whole Tulsa bang, get all the sports. Uh, and we just, we recorded a uh, uh, Grounded Pound podcast last night, two hours and 10 minutes long we break down every single fight me h3 buddha mike brown liam liam picks fights uh and go through you know we're basically looking in that podcast we start we talk primarily around what what are the paths to, to of these fighters scoring 100 points right that's kind of what we focus on in dfs in comparison to their ownership we talk a little bit about construction a little bit about basic uh, large field gpp strategy but Liam primarily breaks down the fights because he, he knows MMA. He'd forgotten more about MMA than I know about MMA. Breaks down how he sees the fights playing out, right? Different different paths of the fight playing out. And then how, how does that relate to DFS score? So certain fighters are more, have, that certain fights are more conducive to 100 plus point scores. Because we're playing large field GPPs. It's a 14 fight card. We have a ton of, like these inside the distance lines, we got like what plus 100, plus 105, plus 120, minus 115, minus 120, plus 190, plus 165, plus 125, plus 150, plus 110, plus 185. Like it's most likely that there's going to be eight, nine finishes on this card, and typically finishes lead to higher scoring. So, uh, you're gonna need you're gonna need a lot of points tomorrow, okay? So, uh, you're playing, playing someone that's gonna, oh, it's gonna. Sneak through with the decision win, 29-28 split or something like that. Probably not going to be optimal. Probably, maybe you could get a winning. 85 points ain't going to make the optimal lineup, most likely. Uh, so so that's what the, the podcast is always about. Uh, and then we got uh, Daniel Hutchins in chat. Two, 291,713 possible DK MMA lineups. Yeah, which is a lot more... It, the more fights you add, it gets exponentially larger. So, like, once you get down to 11, like, that number, you know, gets cut in, like, by 10, something like that. Uh, but the card tomorrow is very – is not like the card last last week. We, when we talked about the card last week, last week's card was 12 fights, and the biggest favorite on the slate was, like, minus 280, right? About a 3-to-1 favorite, which is a, a decent favorite in MMA, but not not like ridiculous. On this card, we have like you're you're getting into the mid eights, and you're still at two to one favorites, right? So we got 
We got minus 485. I didn't update this for this morning, but these are last night's uh, updated uh, uh, sharp lines. I typically use an offshore book for these lines. Uh, so minus 485, minus 550, minus 420, minus 410, minus 365, minus 280, minus 255, minus 250, minus 210. We got a we got more than half the favorites are at least two to one, if not three, four, five to one favorites, and all big inside the distance lines. So like last week's slate with a lot more closer fights, leaving money on the table, playing a lot of underdogs. We saw last week, I think six underdogs won. And the optimal lineup would have had three underdogs in it. And no one even had that lineup. Like leaving you, the optimal lineup like left 3,000 on the table. This is the complete opposite type of slate. That we don't have many underdogs that have great shots at winning. Uh, and also, even if you do pick underdogs, uh, you want shots at 100 plus points. This could be the slate we're getting an underdog at 80 or 90, if all the other favorites win and a lot of them smash, maybe fine. But we're still trying to target on a large slate with a lot of fights uh, favored to go to end inside the distance at like 100 plus points. And the ownership wise on the dogs are kind of spread out outside of Curtis Blades, outside of the main event underdog. And then on the favorite side, we see a lot, we see a decent amount of condensed ownership on kind of this high eight, low nine range. Only because with the dogs not being all that appealing, this slate, people are going to sacrifice like paying up for a 9,300, 9,400, 9,500 because really the metrics, uh, as far as the betting lines are concerned, for the guys that are about three, four, 500 cheaper are about the same, right? So we have like Jai Herbert and Patty Pimblett who have 55, 53% inside the distance chances and they're only 9,800, right? So they're, they're going to be fairly popular. Jonathan Pierce, plus 165 inside the distance. And also, if you he, he tends to win by a lot of takedowns, okay? Do I think that's going to happen on this specific fight? Well, you have to tune in, tune in to the Ground and Pound podcast. You, you, we talk about that. But I think a lot of ownership is going to be condensed around them and as well as the, the main event. And the main event is an $8,300, $7,900 fight. So it's going to be very, very popular because you're probably going to have to play someone in this range in almost every lineup, right? Unless you're going way, unless you're building barbell lineups, you're paying way up and way down, you're probably hitting this range. And in a five-round fight with the inside the distance lines of plus 110 and plus 235, and especially with Blades, you know, if he wins, it's most likely with a lot of takedowns and top control and ground and pound. Like his ceiling is very high. And Aspinall, he'll probably win if he does first two rounds with a knockout. So the likelihood of them putting up, you know, 90, 100 points is fairly high. The winner of this match. Uh, and at that price point, that's probably, we. they don't have to be a top six score on the slate. Like Makayev, Wood, Mason Jones up here at the top. They need to be a top six score, right? But Aspinall or Blades doesn't does, don't need to because, like, even let's say the top four scorers on the slate are all in the nine thousands, you can't fit them all in your lineup, right? So let's say let's say just for for argument's sake, Makayev has one hundred and thirty, Wood has one hundred and twenty, Mason Jones has one hundred and ten, Daikizi has one hundred and ten, right? Something like that, like. Well, you can't fit all four of them in. If those are the four top scorers on the slate, like 
you're going to need probably maybe three of them or maybe even two. Because if you get like, if Hermanson scores a bunch, if Blade scores a bunch, if Gray gets a first round sub, like you may be able to get 105 points at a cheaper price point and then fit everyone in your lineup. So, so understand that even for lineup construction. So really the appeal of the main event to me is the price point. But in comparison to the ownership, there's a lot of people on this slate that could outscore the main event. Okay. I'm more scared of Blades than I am Aspinall, by the way. Okay. Because Blades in a decision win in five rounds could score 150 points. Right. Because he could have two takedowns per round ground control in like a 50-45 or a 49-46 type of decision. Like Blades could score 140 points. Aspinall, not so much. He's, I think, more more reliant, reliant on the early knockout. And even with an early knockout, even in like a second round knockout, like 90, 95 points, maybe he doesn't make the optimal line. Okay? So when we're focusing around combinations, remember, I said people are more likely to be playing these mid, these high 8K type fighters and less likely to play the bigger underdogs on the slate so that the contrarian construction for tomorrow are barbell lineups. Okay? So let's see the difference here. I'll, I'll build. Here's most likely style of lineups. Right, you'll get like Herbert, Pimblet, Pierce. Oh, uh, let's see. And maybe Aspinall. Then we get 75, 50. And then you have to take a shot at like Amerikani. Even if you don't play Aspinall, let's say you play Blades, Amerikani, 8,000, Hermanson, like something like this. Like I'm assuming a lineup like this, these combinations. Like, I, I, I'm going to just basically group out, right? We got 36%, 39% owned, 32% owned, 39% owned, 16 and 19, right? Because under, there's no underdog that's going to be, like, ridiculous. Maybe the, the underdogs, that any, other than, obviously, the main event, well, Hermanson's going to get ownership, but he's barely an underdog. He's an $8,000 fighter. But at the lower level, I think Craig and Amerikani, are going to be the the most used underdogs on the slate. Maybe some Leonardo as well, right? People aren't going to want to go down pretty much past seventy five hundred. Once you get down there, you're you're in shaky waters. But the likelihood of one of these guys, I mean, the, and between Silva, Levitt, Nelson, Hadzovic, Klein, Goldie, Rosa, Johnson, what, get, can one of them win? Right? Can one can one win and put up ninety hundred points? Quite possibly. Like Silva, first round sub. Levitt has a grappling upside against Pimblett. Nelson won, you know, not early knockout. Hadzovic early knockout. Klein early knockout. Goldie, I don't, I don't know about that. Rosa, who that sub at some, maybe, maybe finally gets a he a sub from the bottom. He most likely, most likely is not. Uh, Charles Johnson, who knows? But I mean, people aren't going to want to play this, and then the ownership shows. But it's spread out. It's not like you know, it's not like some of these guys are are five percent owned. It's like it's all around like the high single digit, low double digit types of types of fighters. Okay. So there's not going to be one that's like, well, I'm going to play this guy because he's the lowest out of the bunch. I think they're, I think once you get down to playing one of these fighters, 7,400 below, it's not going to matter what their ownership is. If you're playing one in their lineup. So this type of lineup. So if we're going to go through, let's go through with our combination calculator, a little trusty tool. Right. I didn't update it for what the I, it's probably a similar field size for the throwdown. Right. It's not a twenty five dollar entry fee, but whatever. Thirty two thousand or so. OK, so if we put in these ownership numbers. 
he could try to calculate just using product ownership, which is multiplying all the ownership numbers together and then multiplying it by the field size to get a sense, a general blunt average of how many times this lineup is, is likely to be duplicated. So if we go here and we see 36, 39, 32. So let's put that in. 36, 39, 32. And the last ones are 39, 16, 19. 39, 16, 19. Okay, 17 times on average or something like that, right? 0.05% product ownership. So at this number, I don't really want to play this combination. The problem is that fighter five and fighter six, like these four people together, like are going to produce a number about that big anyway. So even if we leave a little money on the table, so let's say we take out Amerikani, the 16% owned guy, and even just put in Hadzovic, the 8% owned guy, right? So if we go back to here, we put in 8%, we get it down to eight. Remember, we have a 14 fight card. Like we don't have to be satisfied with just like an under 10. I'm really looking for, heavily looking for under fives and uniques. Okay, especially when they're going, to, more of them are going to be available. So kind of, uh, you know, giving in and going, ah, maybe I have some lineups that are seven, eight, nine times, you know, like something like that. I, I think I think you could do better. So I think uh, pair uh, grouping out these fighters, right? Basically grouping out any fighter that is uh, no more than four as of right now. Let, let's, let's take a look at this. So if we take away... Hadzovic and Hermanson, right? And we get uh, just Herbert, Pimblett, Pierce, and Blades, okay? And we can put Aspinall in there if we want instead of Blades. Like, how many combinations of the other two fighters are left? Okay, so we're going to do that. Let's see. We can run lineup HQ until it breaks to find out how many combinations there are. 60. Okay, that's when it stops. Obviously, if it's over 300, it'll just stop at 300. So... If we take out these two and put in 60 combinations, the average dupes of these four combined together is nine on average. Now, will there be some that are under five? Yes. If you, obviously, if you leave the more money you leave on the table, if you play the two biggest underdogs here, right? You played, uh, you put this together and you play like Charles Johnson and Charles Rose are on the bottom and you leave 2000 on the table. This lineup most likely is even unique. So the four together, on average, duped around nine times or so. So there's, there's still uniques available there, but maybe you don't want to play four guys that are 30% plus together. Maybe you don't want to play two, right? But let's just start at four. So let's go to let's go to these player groups and start adding this. So we have Herbert, Kimblet, Aspinall, main event, Blades. Who else is 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 over thirty? Probably Pierce. Let's take, let's take a look at uh, what I got in here. Okay, Herbert, Pimblet, Pierce, Kryloff may get there, so maybe we throw Kryloff in. Craig could come close, but I don't think he makes thirty percent. I don't think Makayev. I don't even think Muhammad Makayev makes thirty percent. At ninety five hundred, people may. It really hampers your lineup when you start putting in $9,500 fighter in your lineup. So let's add Krylov also, which is a lot of the fighters, if we see here in that mid-range. Herbert, 9,000. Pimblett, 8,900. Pierce, 8,700. Krylov, 8,600. I think a lot of lineups will have at least one of these fighters in the lineup. 
That's the easiest way to build a lineup that has a ceiling and then not have to play anyone that's 7,400 and below. But what I'm telling you is that the least used construction is going to be the barbell ones. Like imagine playing Makayev at 9,500, Mason Jones at 92, and Jacquesi at 91. Average remaining player salary is 7,400. You're going to have to play some of these dogs. So let's say... To get leverage, you play Leverett, you play Levitt and Nelson together, right? Against Pimblett and Herbert, who are going to be 35 plus percentiles, right? You're you're able to do that. And you have 7,700. You can even play Paul Craig in this lineup, who's going to be decently owned as an underdog. Like these are going to be the less used types of lineups. Of course, and you see here, the lineup doesn't even have a main event fighter in it. And the main event is going to garner like 80 plus percent ownership between both fighters. So now let's put these numbers in just to show you the difference. So you got 28, 28, 24 in the first three fighters. 28, 28, 24 is a combination of one. The other are 10, 12, and 18. 10, 12, 18. Average dupes, one. You're good. Most likely going to be unique. Well, probably I probably duped once or twice, right? Because it's a 50K lineup. So it's more likely to be duped. We took out Craig at 18% and put in like uh, Claudio Silva instead at 74, leaving 300 on the table, right? We get a little bit less ownership, 11%, and we don't spend the entire salary. So like this is, this, this is a 49-7 lineup that could easily be unique. So you'll be able to find lineups that are above 49.5 that are going to be at least under five dupes, if not unique. So these are the types of lineups that I'm going to be focused on more. Lineups that may not even contain the main event, right? Let's say we, let's say we keep these three fighters and then we do play Curtis Blades in the lineup, a main event fighter. 71.50, now we really have to get, now we have to start playing the Roses, the Goldies or whatever. So, like, once we start getting away from this build, so let's say we play Makayev and Jones, we take out Jukhazy, and we play, like, Ozdemir as leverage against, like, the like 20-something percent Craig ownership. We're playing a mid-range fighter that's not Herbert, Pimblett, Pierce, Krylov. Now we have a little bit more wiggle room, 74-50 for the last two fighters. So we still have to play, like, someone like Jordan Levitt or Kyle Nelson. 7,600, we put Gustafson in here. Like, this could be good. Even though you're playing a 39% on fighter, this could be fine. Let's let's put in the combo calculator and see. 28, 28, 25, 39. 25, 39. And the last two fighters are 10 and 16. 10 and 16. Average dupes three. Okay, so this isn't that bad. This is a 50K lineup. So this may end up being duped maybe four or five times. So if we leave a little money off the table, instead of playing Gustafson here, we play, uh, I don't know, Hannah Goldie, or, or even if we play Nelson in this lineup and do that together, leave 400 on the table. So replacing the 12%, on 16 with 12, average dupes two, it leaves a couple of hundred on the table. This is going to be an under five lineup. That still leaves only 400 on the table. So I'm going to still, I'm going to try to build these types of lineups, because these fighters in this nine, these 9K ranges, they have upside for 120 points. Now, 
what I think, if you listen to the fight breakdowns that we did on the MMA ground and pound, while Patty Pimblett and Jai Herbert have the best inside the distance odds, they don't necessarily have the highest ceiling from a peripheral uh, scoring standpoint. Like the path to it, like Herbert's not going to wrestle. So like Herbert's a win condition for a hundred plus points is essentially a first round knockout. Okay. Pimblett's win condition most probably is going to be probably a first round knockout. I'd rather at lower ownership deal with guys like Jacasey Jones and McIver would like that in a three round decision could outscore them. Cause these are all going to be wrestling based fighters. Now Pimblett does have somewhat of a ground game, but in a fight against Jordan Levitt, like if this fight ends up on his feet, I, I don't see how Jordan Levitt wins. Like Levitt is essentially a one dimensional grappler. So Levitt's going to want it on the ground. Pimblett could, could win on the feet more, even though he does have a ground game, he's more likely to knock him out than submit him or anything like that. So I think the inside the distance uh, odds and also being that they're cheaper than the nine, than the, some of these higher nine K fighters, I think their ownership is going a little bit inflated. And it's primarily due to their price point that you don't have to worry about having to play a Demir Hadzovic or a Hannah Goldie in a lineup that has these fighters. And in the main event, this could be such a high-scoring slate that the main event doesn't even make the, the optimal lineup. Aspinall gets a second-round KO, ends up with 93 points, and misses because there's eight fighters on the slate that have 100-plus. And you don't need it. You don't need it. Blades, right, gets a third-round, right? Aspinall gasses a bit, gets a third- or fourth-round stoppage. Right after losing a round or two, right? Blades is down two rounds to one in the fourth fourth round, gets a you know ground and pound finish in the fourth round. Maybe he scores 80, 83 points. Aspinall scores 40. And the main event fails to be in the optimum. Now at this price point, it's much harder because most people are gonna be playing a lineup. You know, you don't you don't need 130 points from an eighty three hundred or a seventy nine hundred dollar fighter. And you're not going to be able to fit in. Even if four of these 9K guys put up a lot of points, you can't fit all of them in your lineup. So that's that. my only concern about the main event. But if you the expert survey will come out uh, today, I believe later today, the Grand and Bound podcast should come out. Uh, my my hot take of the week is that the main event winner is not in the, the optimal lineup. That's less probable, yes, but that's why it's a hot take. So I'm going to be building a bunch of lineups. Like I'm playing 150 lineups tomorrow. And <coughs> I could see half my lineups not having the main event fighter in it. Does it mean I'll have none? No, of course not. <coughs> but at this ownership, 30, 35, 40% ownership, I'd love to compete against the 20% of lineups that just doesn't have the main event. You may not even need the optimal at that point, right? We saw last week that the optimal wasn't even the winning big large field GPP lineup. Right? The top like six or seven optimals weren't. Right. We had so many underdogs winning and leaving money on the table that that, you know, the next best lineup leaves twenty eight hundred on the table. The next best lineup means nineteen hundred on the table. And just people didn't have these lineups. So I think like the eighth best optimal possible lineup won the large field GPP yesterday. I think I won it solo or at least like maybe tied two or three ways. This is more of the slate where you're going to spend most of your salary. 
I don't see this as being a slate where the uh, the win the optimal lineup leaves two thousand on the table. Can it happen? Sure, I guess, but it's a much lower probability. Look at look at these win odds for so many of these fighters. We don't have like all, we don't have twelve close fights, kind of like what we did last week. Uh, let's see. Dana Hodges says last eleven fight card they played sixty one thousand five hundred seventy eight combos. Yeah, which is much lower than 291,713. But this but this is what we talk about on Fridays. Right? We even have the oh, we get the little comments that are even on the screen. Okay, Eli's Eli's taking care of it. Uh but I think in this 9K range, the ownership is going to be fairly spread out. I think Mason Jones, out, out of all these options, is is has the highest ceiling on the slate. Out of the bunch, only because I think he he could win with eight takedowns and in a three in a three round decision he could still score 130 points. Makayev, Wood, Jacquezi, all all of that type type of upside also. But the ownership, like we have Makayev at 28, Wood at 21, Jones at 28, Jacquezi at 24. Like I don't think any. I think this is about what they're going to be. I think the, all four of those guys will be somewhere in the 20 to. 20 to 28 range. I don't think any of any of them hit 30. Jones would be the closest to 30. So like maybe Jones is somewhere between 26 and 30. McIve is somewhere between 26 and 30. Wood is more like 20 to 24. Jacasey is somewhere in the middle, like 22 to 26. But I think if, if Herbert and Pimlet do not get first round knockouts, I mean, look how many guys they have to, that I, I just think for the extra 100 to 200, even if you have to take a shot on, on an underdog that you don't necessarily like, I think there are less lineups that you're competing against when that happens. And the double, the extra added value to doing that is that if you're going to choose to play, let's say you chose to play Jones and Jacquezi instead of Herbert and Pimlet, and you have to play a fighter underneath 7,400. Well, those fighters are the fighters that are facing Herbert and Pimlet. So not only are you forced into a range that those other lineups will not have, you're playing a fighter that is direct leverage over a fighter that they have, right? So you get like, it's like double, double leverage, double the, double the amount of relative value, extra. Because it's, it's much different. Like if you're going to play two 9K guys up here, three 9K guys up here, and then play uh, uh, Hannah Goldie against Molly McCann, and leave money on the table. Like, why wouldn't you just play Levitt or Nelson? Because, like, your win condition with your lineup is that your 9K fighter scores higher than the the Herbert and Pimblet and Pierce and Krylov and those guys. So, if that's the case, what's what's an what's an outcome where they do score higher? Well, it's because the other guys lost. So, if the other guys lose, that means these underdogs win. So, even if like Nelson gets a second round KO and 85 points, like for 7,200. Like that could possibly still be optimal, but what you're doing is you're knocking out all those Herbert lineups and you're playing someone that is directly negatively correlative to those Jai Herbert lineups. Because for Jai Herbert to score poorly, it's most likely because he lost. I mean, it could just be a third round KO or a, you know, a, th- a three round decision and they both don't get there. That's, that's true also. But what is one of the outcomes where Herbert fails? It's because he lost. Or Pimlet fails. It's because he lost. Pierce against Amerkani. Uh, Krylov, uh, Gustafsson against uh, Krylov. 
Like, so if you're going to play less of these guys, it makes sense to play more of their opponents. Especially in lineups where you're forced to play someone in that range and you're not playing one of the higher-owned fighters in the in the top range. We're just kind of piecing things together. You know, this is this is construction strategy. So just to go over that again, okay? Because pe- what people will do, they'll do this all the time. They'll go, okay, I'm going to get different by not playing Herbert. I'm going to get different by playing Jacquesi and Jones instead of Pimblett and Herbert. <clears throat> they'll still play a main event fighter. They'll still play Aspinall or something in their lineup, right? They'll play they'll play Ozdemir or something, or Chad, Chris Curtis or something like that. Chris Curtis. Then they'll see like, oh, average remaining player salary is 7,600. And I'll go, well, I'm going to play Amerikani and Craig. We're both going to be owned together, especially. And they go something like this, right? They build a lineup like this at 50K. They go, well, well, look, I'm getting different by playing Jacasey and Jones over Herbert and Pimblett. It's like, well, if you're going to do that, why are you playing Amerikani? Why why are you going to play a more of the, a, a, a more owned underdog? Not a high-owned underdog, but a more-owned underdog. Why don't you just go down and play Levitt instead? Leave 200 on the table and play Levitt. You go, well, Amerikani, I like better than Levitt. Well, I know, I, I, I'm with you there. I prefer Amerikani over Levitt myself. But if you're playing a lineup that is specifically leveraged against Pimblett-Herbert lineups, why don't you take the extra leverage by playing their opponents? Because if if uh, Pimblett puts up 120 points and Levitt scores 10, this lineup is dead no matter what because you don't have Pimblett in it, right? So if Pimblett outscores Jacasey and Jones, you're dead to win anyway. So you don't have to worry about, well, what happens if Amerikani does well and Levitt doesn't? Well, you're dead anyway because you don't have Pimlet. Right? If you, you could say the same thing for Herbert. So play Nelson here. If the reasoning behind playing not, playing these other guys is because you're not, you don't want to play Herbert or you don't want to play Pimlet, and you're going to still have to play someone in the low range at some at, at somewhere, play their opponents. Because if they score well, your lineup's dead to win anyway. So many people don't do that. So many people are like, like, yeah, well, I'm glad I'm glad I faded Pimblet, right? Right. Pimblet lost in the in the first round, but I didn't, I barely had any uh Jordan Levin. Like, how do, how do you do that? How do you fade a, 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 a have very little of a 38% don't guy, but barely have any of his opponent? That doesn't make any sense. Right? If you're gonna play, if you you're gonna be like, oh, Herbert's uh, first round knockout dependent. So he may bust. It's like, well, another way that he busts is that he gets clocked and Nelson has a first round knockout. So if you purposely say, well, I'll play Pimblet, but not Herbert. Well, in Pimblet lineups, why don't you play Nelson? In Herbert lineups, why don't you play Levitt? In Pierce, in, 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 in lineups that don't have Pierce, you play Amerikani. In lineups that don't have Krylov, you play Gustafsson, right? So let's say you do play uh, a Herbert lineup without Herbert. Let's say you're playing a Herbert Pimblet lineup. And you don't play the main event. So that's the way that you get different. So let's say you're playing Pimblet. Let's say you're playing Herbert, Pimblet, and Jacasey or something like that. So you are playing Herbert and Pimblet together. Well, you're not playing the main event. So that's how you're getting different. But that means you're not playing like Jonathan Pierce. So why don't you play Amerikani? If you're not playing Krylov, why don't you play Gustafsson in the lineup? You're going to have to fit these guys in. And you have $7,900 left. 
and uh, you play uh, Victoria Leonardo instead of the main event. Because right, once you put Blades in there, then the lineup ownership gets too high. Like, think in those terms. Even if you're just hand-building. What lineups go together? So, like, maybe I do play Herbert and Pimblet in some lineups, but I make a group. Right? We have this group where it's like, maybe you don't want to play any more than three of these players. Maybe not even two. I'm more likely to just have two. Right? Max two on these on these fighters. Herbert, Pimblet, Pierce, Krylov, Aspinall, and Blades. Which means I could still get Herbert and Pimblet lineups. It's just that they don't contain Pierce, Krylov, Aspinall, and Blades. Which is fine. So if I have a Herbert, Pimblet lineup, it doesn't have the main event in it. Right? But I don't have them together. If it's Herbert and Aspinall, well, then I don't have Pimblet, Pierce, Krylov, Blades. I have other fighters in there. So this is more likely the type of group that I'm going to be making for tomorrow's slate. Max two. If you're playing small field stuff, maybe max three. But I wouldn't be, I mean, playing four of these guys just seems like a recipe of running into dupes for no reason. I don't see a reason to do it. Unless you get, unless those lineups leave like 1500 on the table, then they're less likely to be duped. But I don't, I don't see that being an optimal on this slate. Daniel Hutchins says, so far in my 150 set, I only have seven lineups that leave more than 1K on the table. Okay, so there. His, his algorithm knows. I'm assuming last week, Daniel, you had way more that left 1,000 on the table. So I had a ton. I had most. I had more than half my lineups left over 1,000 on the table. But this lineup, this, this, this slate, not going to be leaving much money on the table. I'm going to be building 300. What I'm going to be doing probably later tonight because it's an early card tomorrow. Either I'm going to get up early, like 8 o'clock in the morning, or I'm going to do it late at night, uh, tonight, is run through and, and build 300 lineups and then weed them out from there. Run 300. Like, what I will do is do something like this. Let's just put this at 20, just, just as an example, just to show you. Obviously, I put my own numbers in, right? Because I, I get my rating score. I do all, all this stuff like that. So if I'm going to build 20 lineups, Build rules. Yeah, it's going to be hard to show you without the rating numbers in here to kind of automatically give me the leverage that I need. But I'll build 20 lineups. I'll obviously put, you know, numbers in, whatever like that, and then go through and go, especially on the salary, high to low, and go, is this too high owned? Right? Not even looking at the ownership sum, but just the combination of the fighters. 39, 30, 24, 21, 19, 12. Right, so do something like this. Put that in the combo calculator. And then if that's too high, then I take note of what like that ownership sum kind of is. So like two 30% owned fighters and an ownership sum of that, I kind of start removing from my player, from my lineup pool. So I look at the salary spent. Obviously, it's going to spend most of the salary because I'm using me. I'm using just median projections. I'm not using my rating score. So like here, here's a 49-7 lineup. That has two 30, three, uh, 30% on fighters. This maybe I don't get rid of because once you start leaving money off the table, then it's less like less and less likely to be duped. So like this top lineup over here, I may just get rid of, right? They go, okay, that's too high. This is too high. This is too high, right? But I'm, I'm starting with 300. So if I'm playing 150, I'm pretty much building 300 and getting rid of 150 lineups. So that's what, that's what I spend most of my time doing. Of course, I will set exposures. I will set, I want more. With my rating score in my uh, in my, in my my spreadsheet, it ends up building lineups that 
the more under-owned the fighter is, the more of them that I get anyway. Okay, so that naturally happens, unlike median projections where that's not going to happen. So, like, based on this, I'm going to get a lot of Mandy Bohm. Right? I have Mandy Bohm at 9%, 10% owned. Her ceiling is suspect. She's plus 380 inside the distance. It's a 14-fight card. Uh, I'm not going to have a lot of Mandy Bohm, but I'm going to have over the field. She's under-owned. Unlikely to score 100 points, but still more likely than 10%, right? Probably 14% chance or something like that. So she's going to come up a lot, right? Yet someone like Jonathan Pierce may not come up as much, right? Someone like like Leonardo versus some of these other underdogs, right? I'm going to get a lot more Levin and Nelson in my lineups compared to a Leonardo or a Craig or even a Blades. Not going to get much Chris Curtis, or Aspinall, like a lot of the main event, I'm not going to get much of, right? Because the rating incorporates the ownership into this. So I'm basically building lineups that have the highest leverage rating based on my little spreadsheet here. So that solves the issue of caring about median fighter projections. So it'll automatically build. I, last week, I was building lineups that had a high leverage rating that left 1,200 on the table. Right, because we had underdogs that were under-owned. And they start jamming those guys in. So here's a little little refresher for tomorrow's UFC London card. 14 fights. It starts at noon Eastern. So just, you know, it's not at 6 o'clock at night or whatever. Make sure you wake up, especially if you're on the West Coast. Don't leave your dummy lineups, Justin. Set your alarms. Set your alarms. And you could set your alarms later today. Later today for Grinders Live. 5 p.m. Eastern. They'll be going over the 13-game MLB slate tonight, followed by crunch time. And they'll be leading you up to lock for everything about uh, MLB tonight. There's a FanDuel FanDuel video coming out on the channel. We got stuff on the scores and odds channel. If you're betting, props, anything like that, give me those thummy thumbs on your way out the door. Hit that subscribe button. Hit the notification bell. It's Friday, Friday. Hit me in the face. You can feel free to little punch me, punch me in the face on the screen, and that'll be fine. Uh, as always, uh, theoryofdfs.com. One of the concepts that I'm, I even talked about today about like the combinations and the leverage, that type of stuff. I don't think like a professional DFS player. It applies to all sports. It's not just MMA, right? So if you want to get that, pick that up. Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports, theoryofdfs.com, 15-hour Audio Masterclass, I will teach you how to play DFS using game theory concepts. And uh, hopefully you could turn into a profitable player. So uh, so I'll be back on uh, on Monday, right? We're back to the normal schedule, right? Baseball is back. And we got NFL 50, 49 days away. The start of the regular season in, uh, in NFL. But we also will have preseason content. Not on this show, but we do have uh, preseason uh, stuff. If you're a combo premium, if you're an NFL subscriber for Roto Grinders, sign up for that. Click on the link in the description, get $10 off your first month. Tons of stuff coming up in the fall. We'll deal with the dog days of baseball for a couple of more weeks. And then it's then it's then it's NFL. Then it's the NBA starts coming back. The hockey even comes back. And we still got golf. We got MMA. We got League of Legends, Madden Sims. They're running all the time. We got tons of stuff. So uh So until then, I'll see you on Monday uh, answering your DFS strategy questions like I normally do on the DFS pregame show on Roto Grinders.
Dot com. <laughs>